Our new book, The Art of Business Wars, features stories and lessons from history's greatest business rivalries, with powerful insights uncovered through hundreds of episodes of Business Wars. Go to Wondery.com forward slash The Art of Business Wars to order your copy now. Join Wondery Plus to listen to Business Wars one week early and ad-free in the Wondery app. Download the Wondery app in your Apple or Google Play mobile app store today. It's 1950, and at a chic restaurant in New York City, candlelight is casting a soft glow on Estee Lauder. The 42-year-old petite blonde is impeccably dressed and made up, the epitome of Manhattan glamour. She's sitting across from Revlon CEO Charles Revson, a stern-looking businessman whose angular face matches the crisp folds of his expensive suit. But Lauder knows Revson didn't invite her to dinner to socialize. After all, she's an up-and-comer in the cosmetics business. He's an established veteran, founder of one of the most successful companies in the game. She's not quite sure why she's here, but she's honored and amused to be offered a seat at the table. As they settle into their minestrone soup, Revson makes his move. He leans towards her. I want to buy your company for a million dollars. Lauder looks up, stunned by the offer. On a good week, her sales total around $300 per store, a respectable but modest sum compared to the multi-million dollar annual revenue enjoyed by Revlon. Oh, Charles, I'm flattered by your offer. Truly, I am. But tell me, why would I sell my legacy? Look, Revlon is already one of the most successful cosmetic companies in the country. But I want it to be the Cadillac of the industry. Estee Lauder is not even worth a million dollars yet. This is a generous offer. Why would you refuse it? Ha, huh. I would love to buy your company. Then I could become the Rolls Royce of the industry. Lauder may be small, but she's supremely confident and not about to be bowed by Revson's ambitions at the expense of her own. She's smart enough to know that if Revson wants her little company this badly, it's definitely worth more than he's willing to pay. Are you saying no to me? You're right. Your offer is generous. But I'll be keeping my company and the family. We may not be worth a million dollars yet, but we're just getting started. A company as small as yours will never survive. If you accept my offer, you'll have guaranteed money in the bank for your children. Lauder stiffens at his condescension. Oh, no need to worry about us. I'll grow my business into a household name and they'll have more money than they'll know what to do with. Revson angrily rises from the table. Suit yourself. You're making a big mistake. He throws down his napkin and storms out, muttering as he goes. I'll destroy her. Estee Lauder's not worried. Sure, her company has humble origins. It started with face cream she mixed over a stove in a small apartment. But now its products are distributed in prestigious specialty stores, including Saks Fifth Avenue. Estee Lauder doesn't have the resources to invest heavily in advertising the way Revlon does. Instead, it relies on word of mouth. Estee Lauder's products make women feel pampered and beautiful, so they're eager to share their secret when friends ask how their skin looks so young and fresh. Lauder possesses a keen understanding of her customers, and the loyalty she's built 
isn't easily eclipsed by slick marketing gimmicks. Sure, she figures, the Charles Revsons of the world rule the industry. But with her little bottles of liquid gold, Estee Lauder is going to build an empire. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S. And Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. Today, the global makeup business is worth almost $50 billion. Over the years, new players like Charlotte Tilbury and NARS have frequently tried to disrupt the industry. But certain mega-companies have maintained their iron-fisted hold on the market. In our new series, we're unveiling the rivalry between two top competitors, L'Oreal and Estee Lauder. Both companies have humble origins, but they've each forged very different paths to rise to the top. The smaller Estee Lauder leads in luxury beauty, while the much bigger L'Oreal is the queen of affordable mass markets. For decades, the two companies have raced to develop products, acquire new brands, grow revenue, and maintain cultural relevance. But with a higher profile comes increased competition, and no company's hold on the market is safe forever. In the 1940s and 50s, the family-run Estee Lauder is trying to find its niche in the domestic cosmetics marketplace, while the Parisian L'Oreal is using its hair products to embark on world domination. But first, a scandal threatens to cut L'Oreal off at its knees. This is Episode 1, Telephone, Telegraph, Tell a Woman. It's 1946, New York City. Estee Lauder is sitting across the table from her husband, Joseph, her accountant, and her lawyer. They're at an upscale restaurant, enjoying a business dinner. Lauder is in a jovial mood, and both she and her husband exude confidence as they present their big idea. The business is starting to take off. We've had a good run selling our products in beauty salons, but it's time to find a new market. Lauder's lawyer perks up. What do you have in mind? Department stores. 
The accountant and lawyer exchange surprised looks. They both realize this is a huge gamble. The competition is fierce. The accountant speaks up. Department stores are the big leagues, and your competitors have a wide array of products. And Estee Lauder is ready. Are you sure you shouldn't reconsider? The mortality rate in the cosmetics business is so high. You'll lose all your money. The lawyer clears his throat. You have a good thing going in the salons. Why not keep doing that? Frustrated, Lauder looks to her husband, Joseph, for encouragement. But he just nods, happy to let her do the talking. She locks eyes with her lawyer. I believe my products have what it takes. Their quality will set them apart. The beauty salon business is great, but I have bigger aspirations. I know we can compete with the top players in this industry. The lawyer and accountant nod, convinced by her conviction. But the truth is, Estee Lauder has a limited line of products. A few skin creams and face powders, one shade of lipstick called Duchess Red, and one turquoise eyeshadow designed to make the whites of the eyes pop. The products have attracted a niche following thanks to sales in beauty salons across New York City. But larger companies like Revlon have a wide range of merchandise and broad distribution. But Lauder is adamant that the company's few high-quality offerings are all she needs to give a woman a five-minute makeover that will change her life. She is so confident, in fact, that she literally gives her products away. It's in keeping with her business philosophy. If you let the customer fall in love with a product, they will not only become loyal customers, but tell their friends. Or as Lauder puts it, telephone, telegraph, tell a woman. The problem is that she needs to find her niche. Revlon rules the mass market and is already a fixture in department stores. Competitors Elizabeth Arden and Helena Rubinstein own their own spas and salons. But for Lauder, investing in that kind of real estate isn't in the cards. It's a Wednesday afternoon in 1946, New York City. Lauder sits patiently outside the office of Bob Fisk, The cosmetics buyer works for Saks Fifth Avenue, the most prestigious department store in Manhattan. She's surrounded by a dozen other entrepreneurs, men in suits holding leather briefcases, all eager for their chance at the big leagues. Lauder is nervous, fidgeting with the clasps on her purse. Mr. Fisk! Fisk opens his door and they all leap up, eager for FaceTime with the man who holds the keys to the counter space. As the crowd pushes its way towards Fisk's office door, Lauder somehow shoves her way to the front of the crowd. Aware she doesn't have a moment to waste, she goes straight into her pitch. Mr. Fisk, your customers need Estee Lauder products. For the hundredth time, I've seen no evidence to suggest this. In fact, I'm tired of seeing you camping out at my office. Saks will not be considering your line. I'm going to prove your customers want my products. Sure, you go do that. Lauder is demoralized, but as usual, she has a plan. She's scheduled to speak at a charity luncheon and fashion show at the Waldorf Astoria in just a few days. And the Waldorf Astoria happens to be two blocks away from Saks Fifth Avenue. It's close to noon, and a large ballroom at the Waldorf Astoria is filled with round tables set for a sit-down luncheon. 
Elaborate bouquets reach toward the ornate painted ceiling. There's a cacophony of voices as Manhattan socialites turn to each other to gossip and chat. They're here for the free food and the chance to be seen. Estee Lauder stands towards the front with a group of models, statuesque and beautiful. She hands each model a blue sash emblazoned with the name Estee Lauder. As the models slip the sashes over their cocktail dresses, Lauder hands them baskets filled with her products. Give one of these face powders to every woman here and make sure to tell her it's a gift from Estee Lauder. The models sashay around the room. One approaches a woman sitting at a table. She hands her the compact. It's a gift from Estee Lauder. The woman opens the compact curiously. Inside is a cream-based face powder or foundation. The woman dabs her finger into it, impressed by the rich, smooth texture. Estee Lauder, did you say? She turns to show it to her friend sitting next to her. Ooh, this is so velvety. You know, I don't remember seeing this brand at Saks. Woman after woman gets this little gift, and each one takes the time to inspect it and tell a friend. Later that night, Lauder gets a call. Ah, Mr. Fisk, I thought I'd be hearing from you. I don't know how you managed it, but I had a line of women out the door this afternoon, all wanting to buy your products. I told you I'd prove there's demand. What are your terms? I'll give you counter space on a few conditions. First, you have to close your own salon outlets. All of your business comes to me. That won't be a problem. My customers are loyal, and they'll go where I tell them. And you'll need to change your packaging. Phone cradled in one ear. Lauder examines a container of her super-rich all-purpose cream. It's an opalescent white jar with a black lid and a pasted-on label. They're just too medicinal-looking. Done. Happy to finally be in business with you, Mr. Fisk. Lauder already knows she has a packaging problem. A few months earlier, a loyal client ordered a four-month supply of the all-purpose cream. To enhance the product's cooling and anti-puffing effects, the customer decided to store the containers in her fridge. But as the woman later tells Lauder, there was a terrible mishap when she hosted a dinner party. The client entered the kitchen and was horrified to learn that a guest had mistaken the jars for mayonnaise and mixed it into the salad dressing. The dampness of the refrigerator caused the labels to peel right off. Lauder wants women to be proud to display her products in their homes. She doesn't want them shoved to the back of the fridge or stashed in a medicine cabinet. But that means luxurious packaging. And above all, a brand color scheme that won't clash with the bathroom decor. After weeks of studying every powder room she encounters, Lauder finally lands on the perfect color, a pale turquoise blue. The new shade is different enough to be instantly recognizable, but subtle enough to stay on a vanity counter. Best of all, it looks expensive. And this time, the brand and product name are etched directly onto the jar. No risk of peeling off. Fisk, the buyer at Saks, initially orders $1,000 worth of Estee Lauder products, and they fly off the shelves. Even better, Fisk's wife is the cosmetics buyer for another upscale department store chain, Bonwit Teller. And she places an order, too. Soon, the company is taking off, 
Estee Lauder products are sold at department stores across the country, primarily in wealthy areas, New York and San Francisco, and thanks to the oil business, parts of Texas. But though they're cornering the luxury market, the company has plenty to learn about becoming a nationwide threat. It's the late 1940s, opening day for the Estee Lauder counter at the Frost Brothers department store in San Antonio, Texas. Lauder stands with one of her saleswomen, personally supervising the new operation, as she always does. A customer approaches. As she smiles, the store lights reflect off her two gold teeth. Her clothing falls loosely around her as if she picked them from someone else's closet. She looks out of place next to the other, more smartly dressed customers. The saleswoman whispers in Lauder's ear. Not her, Mrs. Lauder. Don't waste your time. I live in the area. I know her type. She's not going to buy anything. Since when do you know how much money she has in her purse? Lauder confidently approaches the customer. Welcome to Estee Lauder. How may I help you today? I heard about your super-rich moisturizing cream. I'd like to try it. You have excellent taste. Why don't you take a seat at the counter? The woman perches on a stool. Lauder begins to expertly work her magic, first applying cleansing oil and then a rich lotion to prepare the skin. On top of that, she layers her signature super-rich all-purpose cream, the very product that launched her business. Once she blots away the excess oils and creams, The skin is a perfect, soft canvas for her final touches. She applies a dash of blush, some powder, and just the tiniest bit of turquoise eyeshadow. She tops it all off with a hint of red lipstick. The customer looks in the mirror. Her eyes widen. Wow, I've never looked like this before. Before Lauder can respond, the customer opens her sagging purse and pulls out a wad of crisp cash. I'll take two of everything you just used. Lauder beams, heading behind the counter to begin bagging the purchases. She leans towards her shocked saleswoman. See? Every woman wants to look beautiful. With the brand's newfound success in department stores across the country, Lauder finally finds herself in a position to consider real professional advertising. It's time to reach beyond her old mainstay, word of mouth. She scrapes together $50,000 and approaches the Madison Avenue advertising agency Batten, Barton, Durstein, and Osborne. Their other clients include none other than Revlon. But Lauder is laughed out of the room. The agency insists they can't launch a successful campaign for anything less than a million dollars. Lauder isn't deterred. She decides to use the money on a tactic she knows works instead. More free samples. She spends the whole 50000 on more product and organizes a giveaway of face powder in every store with an Estee Lauder counter. The company also branches out into fragrances and bath oils, helping to improve their bottom line. By 1958, Lauder's son Leonard, now 25 years old, officially joins the family business. And he's every bit as ambitious as his mother. He relaunches the company's high-end Renutriv lipstick, a relatively new product he thinks has great potential. While companies like Revlon launch one color at a time, 
Leonard releases a dozen shades of lipstick all at once. He names them after European destinations like Madrid and Capri to evoke a sense of luxury and adventure. And that's not all. Leonard listens to women who complain that their bullet-shaped lipstick smudge their lip line and streak their teeth. One day, Leonard takes a razor and slices off the rounded top, creating a sharp angle. This way, women can press the flat side flush against their lips, using the tip to create an outline. His clever solution quickly becomes the industry standard. Meanwhile, across the pond, the beauty giant L'Oreal is churning out innovations that make it a customer favorite. But its founders' wartime dealings are coming to light, and they don't look pretty. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It's 1946, Paris. French chemist Eugène Schuller is in trouble. L'Oréal, the company he founded 37 years ago, skyrocketed to European fame by offering the first synthetic hair dye. Now the company has offices in multiple countries and a robust distribution network. And that growth shows no signs of letting up. But Schuller is facing a crisis that could spell the end of his beauty empire. Schuller sits with a friend in his cramped apartment. He rubs his temples, distraught. His friend breaks the silence. You look terrible. What's going on? The government is imposing a professional sanction against me. What are they accusing you of? They're saying I aided the Nazis. It's unbelievable. L'Oreal could be seized by the government. I could lose everything I've worked for. What are you going to do? Get people to vouch for me. But, Eugène, what about all your writings? They're clearly pro-Nazi. Besides, people know that you helped La Cagoule. For years, Schuller's disdained democracy. He believes it gives power to inept and undeserving people. And so, he aligned himself with the radical anti-Semitic group La Cagoule. The group aimed to replace France's republic with a dictatorship 
and was responsible for assassinations, terrorist attacks, and bombings during the war. Schuler helped bankroll the operation and allowed the group to meet at L'Oreal's headquarters. Schuler shakes his head at his friend's comment. I'll get people to say I protected my Jewish employees. The friend looks uncomfortable. He knows if this plan fails, Schuler will not only go to jail, but be forever disgraced. He tries again. But what about your company's profits? What about them? They've grown. I am the best at what I do. But they will ask you in court how your sales quadrupled during the war when everyone else's were falling apart. There were whispers about using your connections to sell supplies to the German military. Schuler bristles. They won't be able to prove a thing. And he's right. Ever the savvy businessman, Schuler manages to weasel his way out of trouble. He never accounts for L'Oreal's unprecedented rise in profits as France's economy was tanking. But none of Schuler's wrongdoings are ever proven in a court of law. In 1948, Schuler's case is closed. L'Oreal remains safely in his hands, and he returns to innovating. Already a king of hair dye, Schuler's next target is hair care. Meet Doc, the fabulous pearlized shampoo from Paris. Doc, in four unique formulas with special beneficial action for greasy, dry, dandruff, or normal hair. Doc, the bright shampoo for every kind of hair. L'Oreal launches the first mass-market shampoo that does not include soap. That means no residue left on hair after washing, a revolutionary improvement. It's 1949 in Paris, and Schuler has created quite a spectacle, a roadshow. He stands at the back of the massive crowd, admiring his handiwork. 50,000 people are there to try his new product, the stage is covered in advertisements for DOP. Employees wander the crowd, handing out samples. A singer takes the stage to more cheers. Two young women admire their samples. Have you tried it? It's so much better than other shampoo. Her friend agrees. My hair has never looked better. It is quite a spectacle. By now, L'Oreal hair color is widely used by hairdressers across France. The first commercial sunscreen, another Schuler creation, is also growing in popularity. But there's still work to be done. L'Oreal remains a small company. Enter Francois Dahl, a former factory director with an eye for marketing. He meets the L'Oreal founder through the Paris Business Network. Soon, he's hand-selected to join the small burgeoning company to help improve sales. He quickly becomes Schuler's right-hand man. Ambitious himself, Dahl admires Schuler's knack for innovation, and he's eager to impress him. It's 1949. Schuler and Dahl sit in their Paris headquarters going over sales figures and marketing plans. Dahl looks up from the papers. We need to increase our distribution. Why? Business in pharmacies and hair salons is booming. Yes, but what if we start selling in retail stores? Department stores and boutiques? Why? Because we could reach a whole new market. L'Oreal could be a household name. But cosmetics are sold in pharmacies. That's how it's always been. 
True, true. But right now you only have 25 employees. You're a minor player. If what I'm suggesting works, you'll reach so many more customers. I think we could even become the top producer of cosmetics in the world. Schuler listens to Dahl. As the company moves into the 1950s, L'Oreal products appear on the shelves of retail stores. The size of the company quadruples. As Schuler grows older, it's time for him to consider the future of his business. He firmly believes a woman's place is in the home and doesn't see his daughter as capable of handling the reins of his empire. Instead, Schuler declares Dahl will become the company's new CEO once he's gone. In 1957, Eugène Schuler dies at the age of 76. Financial ownership of L'Oreal passes to his only child, Lilianne Betancourt, with Dahl taking the reins as CEO. And Dahl is ready to make big moves. Under his leadership, L'Oreal will acquire high-profile brands, expand distribution, and become a global superpower in the industry. On the next episode, a restless young Eugène Schuler jumps at the opportunity to develop hair dye while Estee Lauder is inspired by a family member to concoct her own face creams. From Wondery, this is Episode 1 of Estee Lauder vs. L'Oreal for Business Wars. If you like our show, we hope you'll give us a five-star rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. And to listen to episodes one week early, join Wondery Plus. You'll also find some links and offers from our sponsors in the episode notes. Supporting them helps us keep offering our shows for free. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey and tell us which business stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they are based on historical research. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Estee Lauder, we recommend the book The Company I Keep, My Life in Beauty by Leonard Lauder. I'm your host, David Brown. Aaron Conley wrote this story, voice acting by Michelle Philippi. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our associate producer is Kate Young. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez. For Wondering. Looking for the hottest takes and the spiciest celebrity gossip? Look no further. Welcome to Rich and Daily, the all-new podcast from Wondery that's going to bring you up to speed on all of Hollywood's most current secrets and scandals. Need to know what Harry and Meghan are up to? What's the latest in Britney's conservatorship hearing? We've got you covered. I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams, and along with my bestie and fellow celeb news fanatic, Brooke Sifrin, we're bringing you the latest entertainment gossip every Monday through Friday. Is that rumor you heard about Rihanna true? If it is, you better believe we'll have something to say about it. So if you want to be in the know about who's been seen with whom and who's in and who's out, join us on Rich and Daily, because we don't just listen to the rumor mill. We give you the celebrity facts as they happen. Listen to Rich and Daily on Amazon Music, or you can listen to episodes ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. With Rich and Daily, feel the gossip. Wondery, feel the story.